Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. For the 200th show, no sound. No sound. It's all mime. It's all pantomime and gesture. We shall be doing this episode through the power of interpretive dance. <laughs> yes, that's how we do it. That's, or maybe not. Uh-huh. Welcome, everyone, to this special episode of the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm Timothy Harvey. You hesitated. I wasn't sure. Okay. <laughs> to check periodically and to remind myself who I am. We are, we are loaded for bear tonight. You hear Mr. Harvey is popping a popping a can of... Shockingly, we're not drinking coffee. We are not. We are yet. doing caffeine of a different sort tonight. Night's not over. Probably some coffee later. That didn't, that didn't hiss very well. All right, so Mr. Harvey has his can of Dr. Pepper. I have my bottle of Coca-Cola with real sugar. Mm-hmm. This is this is the uh, and and none of this none of this product placement is paid for tonight. By no, the way, no, it's not. Uh, nor is the so. nor is the product placement for the food. Domino's pizza. Now we are having a pizza party tonight, yes. and. Uh, those of you who are in the live chat, if you are watching live, um, sorry, you don't get any pizza. We didn't bring enough for you, sorry. We didn't bring enough for you. There's your uh, napkin, sir. Because the appropriate question is, did you bring enough for everyone? That's right. So, um, it is our 200th episode. Uh, could you do me a favor, Mindy? Could you flip the monitor on that camera over so I can see that? I just want to double check and make sure because I'm paranoid about such things. Is the camera working? Is the camera on? And I can say, those of you who are watching the video, we have three cameras working tonight out of the four. So my camera is working. Tim's camera is working. The single, the single shots. There's, there's mine there. And Tim's is right there. And you can see, uh, you can see both of us, big as life, right there. I I uh, I hesitate to suggest that you watch this on a big screen. No, but no, you know no. it's it is what it is. Now, yeah, uh, um, uh, okay. So another one, another one of those m- moments that dates us terribly. Remember Tootsie? Uh, How c- can you pull back any further? How do you feel about Cleveland? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's about right, isn't it? Um, now the cameras don't all match, of yeah. course, but you know at least they're working tonight. That's right. Most of them. Um, and the right names are in the right spots. The right names are the right spots. The <laughs> oh, see there. there, you see, missed an opportunity there. to have us have completely different names tonight. Now, what what thing? One thing we're going to do toward the end of the show is we're going to do an "Ask Me Anything" type of segment. And so we're going to try to keep an eye on all of the different social media where people can ask questions. But here's what we're going to do. On Twitter, 
hashtag H2O podcast. Um, on Facebook, on our page, I guess you could leave a comment and with a question. And then, of course, in the live chat, you can you can leave a comment or you leave a leave a question that we can ask. Now, we we reserve the right not to answer. Sure. Of course. Because, you know, who knows what kind of questions you're going to get. Um, questions that are asked with a super chat get bumped to the top of the to the head of the line. And they'll get answered first. Um, I am going to do a little more public television pledge drive stuff with the Super Chats tonight because I'd like to replace these cameras, please. <laughs> um, and, of course, we got to replace... We got to replace the money that we just spent on the pizza. Right. So, you know, it's those kind of things. The Super Chat is a way that you can show your support for the channel, for the show. Uh, we have a number of different shows that we produce here at Sci-Fi for Me. And tonight we are addressing an inequity, one I guess of, you could one say. One of several. One of several, but we've been called out um, and... and Rightfully so. Yes, it's it's Rightfully a justifiable so. mea culpa. Yes. So what we're going to do uh, over the last few weeks, especially, a lot of what we've been doing has been focused on film and TV and superheroes and that kind of thing. It's, it's film, TV, and comic books. So we comics, mentioned comics. It's in the news. I mean, yeah. that's the thing that a lot of people are talking about. Those are the movies that are making billions of dollars. You know, Star Wars is out. We've got Doctor Who is in got the TV you know, shows. We've I mean, all these different things. And, and it's a great time for genre. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know. Well, got... that depends on your perspective. It's a great time for genre in that. There's lots of it. There's lots of it. And it's becoming a little bit more accepted as a I think, thing i would say at this point the vast majority of what we would consider genre is pretty much mainstream but that's also degree. that's also a bug as much as it is a feature uh, it i can was be, sure i was what i was seeing uh was watching i don't even remember where it was that i saw this comment the 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 notion that when we were not popular when geeks and nerds and science fiction fans and genre fans and fantasy fans, when we were the ones that were getting bullied and picked on, when we were that almost a counterculture, a subculture where we mm. were just off to ourselves and there was this sense of community because we were all getting picked on, right? We weren't, we weren't part of the jocks and the cheerleaders and you know everybody else, right? Sure. There was that time. Yeah. Well, now that it's mainstream, everybody thinks that they could be a genre fan. And so the people that picked on us when they didn't like what we were doing are now part trying to be part of the community and they are still picking on us well, within and, the community. And I, I would also say there's probably a little bit of the fact that the folks who were... And this... Because you know this happens. People who are bullied sometimes become bullies and they lash out when they're in a position of quote unquote yeah. position of power. Right. I, yeah. So I think that, you know, it, well, it, it comes down to a thing we've said a lot, which is oh, be nice. Yes. Be pleasant. All right. I'm opening the pizza. This is the ultimate pe pepperoni, ultimate, pepperoni. ultimate pepperoni, which actually when I was ordering the funny thing, this is not our topic, by the way. Um, <laughs> Funny, we'll circle to it. The pizza the and pizza, how we like it. Okay, so 
in the ordering thing, right? The menu sure, right. you can order the ultimate pe- uh, ultimate pepperoni is a specialty that Domino's has. Right, right. right. Now the default is double pepperoni. The ultimate pepperoni thing you order you know, if you're going to go in to customize your order and whatnot and whatever. And I looked at the drop down and the drop down past double has oh. extra. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> It's an ultimate pepperoni. It's probably got enough on there already. I'm not gonna dare. I'm I'm not gonna take that dare tonight. <laughs> not tonight. But we're gonna have pepperoni pizza, and we're gonna talk books. And yeah. that is the one thing. Oh, I didn't have it. I didn't load it in. <sighs> oh well. Um, okay, so Samuel T. Cogley, you know him, right? Yeah, right? yeah sure. Uh-huh. Uh, the lawyer. In the episode, here, go ahead and grab you a slice or two there. Samuel T. Cogley, the lawyer that was in the episode Court Martial of the original Star Trek, uh, played by Elisha. Elisha, I think we're going to need a knife. Yeah, this, this is isn't not cut. this isn't cut very well. Ah, engineer over there has one. I I can't get up. I got a pizza in my lap. All right, so you can you can do the honors there. Live television, folks. So we're now a cooking show, <laughs> <laughs> a genre cooking show, pizza and books. Let's write that down. That actually might be a thing. <laughs> Not pizza and books and dogs. So, um, so Samuel T. Cogley has this thing where he talks about books. And the importance of books in a homogenized, pasteurized, supervised, electronic society that we find ourselves in. And, of course, he's talking about the 23rd century, but it applies just as well to us here now. Because, of course, Star Trek brought us the iPad. Yes. And the cell phone. And the holographic projector and mm-hmm. all of these other things, right? Right. You know, video phones and, and whatnot. Get down. Get down, dog. Down, dog. And so he's talking about the the advantage. I don't have a plate. He's, oh, I do. Thank you. He's talking about the advantage that books have over electronic stuff. You can actually – there's tangible – you can look through them. You can you can find the original intent and whatever else. And we've seen from our experiences with Wikipedia where anybody can write anything about anybody and it doesn't necessarily have to be true, that we are in that age where it would be nice if we could get accurate stories and information and whatnot. So, so... Tonight, we're going to talk about books, Mm -hmm. because John Popham, who is a frequent commenter on our show, a member of the audience, he he listens to the podcast Mm -hmm. version more than he more than he watches the TV. He called us out a couple of weeks ago over our our conversation about friendships in genre. And uh, then, of course, we had the enemies in genre last week, and he was talking about the fact that we're talking about Kirk and Spock and Batman and, and Superman and all of these all of these people that are in film and TV mm-hmm. or comic books or whatever. And 
he makes a very valid point that we did not talk about any literary relationships. And, of course, there are a number of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when he suggested a few, I, I thought, well, yeah, those are, those are, are valid ones. And then you've also got um, stuff like uh, Dragon Riders of Pern, and you've got the Honor Harrington series, and all of these different books that we've read. But let me start... And I will give John his his due here, and I will go in and uh, and look at his recommendations, his suggestions. Um, let's see. He did that in a tweet. He did. So let me see if I can scroll back, because we've had a number of people responding to different things that we've posted. Um... By the way, um, those of you who are really, really, really into Twitter, uh, I would recommend following Data Racer One One Seven because he's uh, he's doing a fairly good job digging up information that some people don't want dug up uh, with regard to genre stuff. Um, okay, so John recognizes here and recommends C.J. Chera's Down Below Station. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, he suggests that um, to start with, so we could start with that one. I will admit that I have not read those books. I have not read any. I don't think I've read any of Cherry's books. Um, I've read. I've read some. Have you? So you'll notice that we have a number of books piled on the table here, along with uh, some other things that I'm going to get to. Um, I was digging through, we were, we were emptying boxes today, and I came across, or as some people say, I came across mm. some stuff. We were cleaning out, we were, we were, we were sorting the we were sorting the LPs, and I came across this from KTEL <laughs> Disco Fire. Oh my! I'm using my Randy Radio voice right now. The Tramps. This is uh, Samantha. Sang. Oh wow! Yeah, Samantha Sang. Yes, yes. <clears throat> so, um, people, you just don't think about. <laughs> this has Donna Summer's "I Feel Love." Sure, right? Yeah. Uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band Boogie Shoes. Of course. Um, Disco Inferno by the Tramps. Right, right. Uh, and a little something called the Star Wars title theme by Miko. Right, yeah. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> and then we came across the soundtrack for a, a, a little fantasy movie starring... Gene Kelly. Yeah. From, I don't know when. When was this movie, when did this movie come out? 1980? Uh, maybe. That's what the date is on the record. The soundtrack to Xanadu. Which is by ELO, which is the Electric Light Orchestra. That's fantastic it's music. Fantastic music, yes. yeah. And, 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 movie? Not so much. And uh, Olivia Newton-John's in it. Mm-hmm, yeah. I don't know what you're f- laughing about. The yellow is great. <laughs> then we found this other one. Okay. This <laughs> other one from KTEL that this one has 
hit machine. Uh, let's see. This one has, um, yes, a hit machine. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can't see the visual aids and the props that I brought tonight. Um, John Sebastian, Welcome Back, which oh, is sure. the theme to Welcome Back, Cotter. Uh, which was the launching point for John Travolta's career. Right, yeah. Uh, Pratt and McLean, Happy Days. Sure, right, yeah. Which has a genre connection because one of the spinoffs of Happy Days was Mork and Mindy. Right, yeah. Sci-fi right. comedy. Yes, it's there. There it is. And then in on this as well, probably one of the one of the best songs to come out of the seventies. Oh dear. Disco Duck Part One. Well, of course, right. <laughs> By Rick Dees and his cast of idiots. Rick Dees is Rick Dees still around anywhere? Um, I don't remember. I don't know. You uh, don't have your microphone. I don't know, Robert. How old are you? Um, if, if if the question's not you know an, an important one, impertinent one. <laughs> Hello, Robert. Yes, uh, we, we are, are. We are not. We're young. of an age. Um, and then another fantasy. Because we don't really talk about fantasy that much. We talk about science yeah, fiction. Mm-hmm. We talk about superheroes. We don't talk very much about just straight fantasy. And this right, is yeah. a light fantasy. Sure. It's kind of a dream sequence. I mean, the whole thing is just, right, you know, yeah, right uh-huh. out of, right out of, uh, um, well, what would be a literary equivalent of something like this? Would this be maybe something, this would not be, this would not be something that Terry Pratchett would have written. This the, is this is kind of I don't know <laughs> I don't know that's a good question. All um, right, this is the pirate, pirate movie. Oh, uh, with Christy McNichol. Christy McNichol, back when Christy McNichol was hot, she was a hugely popular actress. She for a was, time. she was, she was, uh, and this was right after. Or during, I think it was on the, t- it was either on the tail end or it was right after her run as Buddy on Family. Ah. Remember that TV show that was, um, because Michael Gross, no, not Michael Gross, uh, Meredith Baxter Bernie was the mom. Sure, right. Mm-hmm. And Christy McNichol was in there and she played Buddy. She was the tomboy. And this right. was after her appearance on Starsky and Hutch. Right. Uh, Robert, same age. Yes. Robert's yes. the same age. Okay. Alive. Uh, all right. So. So, little trip down nostalgia lane there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gay. Um, uh, I have uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, CJ Shara, I, I read the. I was a huge fan. Still, am a huge fan of her the foreigner novels, mm. um, which are science fiction. Um, really interesting, long running series. I think yeah. there are eight or book eight or nine or something like that. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I will periodically binge them, uh, especially when I was when I was driving a lot and was getting a lot of audio books. Right. Um, they were fantastic. It's a fantastic series uh, about first contact and second contact, and the um, what happens when when an alien species that is a lot like us but just different enough, and we're their first contact, mm. and we're the minority. Um, they're they're not particularly pleased to have us there, right? But we have because we have the technology that they don't. We're we're valuable in the political climate, sure. And so it becomes a very it's a lot of it is not only really interesting science fiction and interesting science fiction questions, but it's also politics and philosophy and um, 
the navigating of a species that looks at you and says, I don't understand you. Right. I mean, I understand the words you're saying, but they don't mean to us what they mean to you. There interesting is, series. Really, really interesting series. There is a series of books, and I didn't pull one out. It should, I, I should have. Um, <clears throat> it was a series of books by Anne Crispin. Mm. And I really, really wish that she was still around. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> the Star Bridge series, uh, which is a, a first contact story of sorts. And I think there are, oh, I want to say five or six stories mm-hmm. in, in the book, in the series. And two of them feature a deaf Native American female as the lead character. They're called si- silent, silent songs, and I can't remember the other one, but I think that those she co-wrote with. Oh, now I'm drawing a blank. But um, it was a very good series that that deals with getting along with other cultures and the interpersonal politics and the and the overall big geopolitical and yeah. oh well then we're going to do and and from a first contact standpoint that first book really does a lot to set up the rest of of everything and it just goes from there it's a very good series of books i think one of the, uh, uh actually robert uh the answer is no but he asks if they uh, import um Importers to reduce native wages. Uh, <laughs> no, no. But the the interesting thing is, of course, is that um, it's a very it's a very rigid society with a very specific series of of cultural interactions that everyone has that doesn't actually translate into a thing that humans actually understand. And that's one of the conflict is that you can talk the words to each other, but the cultural concepts, the core things that don't connect. Yeah. And never will connect because they simply look at us and say, that doesn't make any sense. And we can't, I mean, you're, the things you are saying don't translate. And yet you have to interact with these people. And the main character is a human who is basically the, in, the inter, he's the, the official, I don't know, uh, ambassador is the wrong word, between the humans who are on this one little island mm. and the the larger political structure right and he has to navigate the fact that um he's sometimes more valuable dead <laughs> to the political structure than he would be alive and sometimes he's extremely valuable alive and then there's humans who are out there um in uh off planet who have their own agenda and so it becomes this very thing where this one human being finds himself in a position where he the fate of two different peoples are resting on his shoulders in a way that he never could have conceived. There was uh, a news item we had on on Good Morning Multiverse a few weeks ago about a book that is similar to that. Um, a, oh, and I have to go back and look and see which which week it was that we that we had this story is being adapted into a film Mm. um but it has uh at its core the central character is a human who Mm. runs an outpost it's a way it's called waste it's called the way station i believe and earth 
has become the crossroads to all of these different alien races going back and forth uh-huh. and through and whatever. And he runs the station. He's sort of the lighthouse keeper. Sure. Okay. And because he's so good at, the, at his job and, and he's got an important task, they've made him immortal. And so he's seen things and now he's starting to see things that could spell the the end of humanity and now wow, what do you do so there's that that similar kind of thing where mm-hmm. you've got that one human being that becomes the the fulcrum for all of these things that could happen so i, I think read it, i think the interesting thing about series like that um and certainly the the foreigner series um is that it it basically gives you people who are extremely intelligent, whether they're human or alien, and who are not just... Um, it, it, there's there's certainly a level of conflict, and there's often a level of violence, and certainly it can be very much a conflict between species, right? But for the majority of the time, it's the interactions of two cultures that don't have a way to... They, they can speak a common language. Yeah. But the the core concepts that underline who they are are just never are just never going to quite connect, and yet they have to interact with each other. Right, and it makes for some really really fascinating character studies of the people involved. Because sometimes the villains of the piece are just people who are just you know they just don't see things the same way well, as somebody else does, and villains, it just makes them evil. Villains are the heroes in their own story. Yeah, and I think it's, so. It's very clever writing. If you haven't if you haven't read the Foreigner books, I certainly I believe the first one is called Foreigner, uh, and definitely check them out. They're they're extremely well done. Now, of course, we can we can go through and, and we'll we'll go through. We're going to go through this pile because Tim brought some of his. I've got some of mine off the shelves, and of course, we'll go through some of the ones that. Yeah. Are the seminal works ish? Because some of the ones, a lot of the ones that I brought are not seminal ones. They're just ones I think you should read this book. Yeah, I mean, there of course is the Chronicles of Narnia, which is uh, you know a a massive influence over a lot of different fantasy authors and and that kind of thing. Um, And even even with the the Christian allegory stuff, you know, de- you know, your mileage may vary depending on what your what your faith may be. That's not necessary to the enjoyment of the story. Uh, I'll say that. I mean, the the books themselves, if you just read them just on oh, face yeah. value, they're still very entertaining pieces, and and they they hold up. Mm-hmm. Over over the test of time, and and it's something, of course, that's it's easy to recommend that. And then let's reach over here. Um, where did I find? Where did I put it? Get um, down, dog. Where did I put the Madeline Lingle books? I don't know if I pulled them out, but of course, Madeline Lingle's Wrinkle in Time, right. and those that series of books. Uh, I highly recommend. Um, they no, are much better than the movie adaptations. <coughs> Crap. I think, unfortunately, with the movie adaptations, you end up with trying to. <clears throat> There's a simplicity to the story that I think 
the best of intentions, whoever's working on it, you're... You're, you, you almost want to add things to it. It, I think it worked really. I heard the remember the audio version. We used to have it on a record. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was very effective because the words were there, but a lot of it was left to your your mental. You know, you ima- you were listening to it and imagining it. Well, let me let me say this, with with regard to any adaptation of a book, if you're going to adapt a book. Or if you're going to adapt a comic book, because that's literary in a mm-hmm. sense. The first thing that you need to do is have the intent to adapt that story. Mm-hmm. To actually adapt that story. And stay true to the source material, stay faithful to the source material, because there are people who are fans of the source material that are going to see what you do, and they're not going to like it if you decide that you're going to just do something in name only, Ava DuVernay, the, the, the idea of doing an adaptation is I've read this book, I've seen it in my head, my imagination tells me this is what it looks like, and I expect to see this story. That would be a lovely thought, but there have been three, four versions of I Am Legend, and the one that cl- got the closest was the one starring Vincent Price, who was miscast in the part. And, you know, Charlton Heston, mm-hmm. uh, Will Smith, although there are parts of, of that film that are really very good. Yeah. But, um, you know, you can... <sighs> it's a tough thing. We, we, you know, we, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people... Discuss, you know, the, the discussion of the Watchmen series is all over the place. People are talking about it all the time. But there's a very good argument that, you know, Alan Moore is right to be upset because people have done a very poor job of adapting his works. From Hell is a great Johnny Depp movie. <laughs> it's a terrible Alan Moore adaptation. V for Vendetta. The comic series is amazing, mm-hmm. and it is a literary work of art. And the movie, while fun, is an awful adaptation. One adaptation that for the most part, got it right, was Peter Jackson with Lord of the Rings. For The, the most Lord part. of the Rings. And Lord an... of the Rings. The Hobbit, maybe not so much, because he tried to do something really ambitious. And, I, and look, I, I get what he was trying to do. I applaud him for the attempt, and I think it did pretty well. But I think it would have done better not being a trilogy. No. I think um, it's a stretch to make it too. Yeah, Robert says um, Kurosawa's versions of King Lear and Macbeth, some of the best films ever made. Oh, I would agree. I would agree with certainly Macbeth. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen the King Lear one. Um, I'm going to say, based on vague memories, probably yes. Um, but no, a lot of Kurosawa actually. Well, He's sure, just an amazing I mean, filmmaker. Yeah, um, but it's you know, it's tough doing an adaptation because you're. We've talked about this before. A book, you have the ability to go inside the head of the character. You have the ability to world build in a way that you may not have a budget to do as a film. Right. And it ends up being, you know, for there have been quite a few films that are an example of, you know, you just didn't have the resources to do the thing you needed to do. And some of them have just been terrible cash grabs. I mean, you just can't get around. Yeah. Um, 
and 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 to be to be clear, we're not going to be talking about TV and movie adaptations no, no, all no, night. No, we're no, just no. That, that's just where where we've gone. Um, so okay, so I've got here on my pile, I've got my my Tolkien Lord of the Rings trilogy, mm-hmm. um, and I do recommend The Hobbit as well. I think it's a it's a good story. It's an excellent uh, excellent piece of work, um, and. Uh, I have a copy of the Cimmerillion, but I haven't read it. It's a tough book it's, to read because it's well, it's not just one thing. It's it's a collection of lots of different bits and well, pieces. Well, and it's and it's kind things. of where I mean, because Tolkien loved language. He loved playing with language, and it's kind of the culmination of all of his <laughs> let's let's create language, let's create words, let's create names that mean things, yeah. and so. If you are, I guess in some ways, if you're not prepared to deal with the amount of information you have to process and keep for names that are not easy and maybe on initial read to keep straight. It's a, it's a, if you commit to it, it's a rich story. It's very, very interesting. And it's kind of the backstory to the world. Mm-hmm. Of the you know of the of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and so that's a huge uh, uh, reward in itself. But it's definitely a a different if you if if you read the Hobbit and you dive into Cimmerillion, you're gonna be like, um, what? No, you talk about um, language and the use of language um, to tell a story and to dive and, and to do a deep dive, as it were. Uh, Dune, oh yeah, from Frank Herbert. The first time I read this story, I was reading it, and I think I was maybe about two fifths of the way through when I realized what Frank Herbert was doing when he was describing the desert. From a literary standpoint, it's it's nothing short of brilliant. But I I looked at it and suddenly realized he's describing the desert as if it were water, an ocean. And he's using flow and stream and, and river. He's using all of these water and aquatic descriptions for Arrakis, for a desert planet. And I looked at it and went, that is such a a great juxtaposition of images because it you, you wouldn't think about doing something yeah. like that. It's it's a it's it's a pairing of opposites and and it enhanced my enjoyment of the rest of the story as I go through the book. Um, so I highly recommend Dune. I did pick up I'm in the process of getting the rest of the series. I've got uh, I think I've got Dune Messiah sitting up there, and mm-hmm. I just picked up the Children? fifth one. Oh, okay. Uh, what was what? Heretics. Heretics. Heretics of Dune. So I'm 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 filling in the gaps. So. <coughs> um, honestly, I think uh, Dune, Children of Dune. I'm oh, sorry, Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune. Um, uh, God Emperor of Dune. Uh, is it Her- Her- Heretics, Heretics and then Chapter House? Yeah. 
are the Frank Herbert written ones. Right. And um, his, <coughs> his son Brian and Kevin J. Anderson have picked up. Right. And, and have and, continued with that. And there's a disconnect, I think, between the, the there's certain fans don't feel that you're once you've got done with the Herbert stuff, you're done. Mm-hmm. When you've got the stuff with his son and, and the, the the new ones, there's um, they're not not to everyone's taste. Let's, let's, I mean, and that's fine. You don't have you don't have to like them. You you have the option. You have the option yeah. to stop with Frank's. Well, you know, I mean, and then or continue on with the prequels and sequels. Even though they're going off of Frank Herbert's notes. It's not Frank Herbert writing the right. book, and so they're going to have a little bit different tone and voice. And, yeah, and, and I think that pace. I think that for for a lot of the fans, it is the fact that Herbert ended up with a, especially with the Dune series. There was very much a a voice that he had for the series, and it was almost it's almost impossible to replace. I mean, yeah. t- doesn't matter who the talent is. And uh, by the way, Thomas, welcome uh, welcome to the chat. The he he made his he made our our token Tolkien right sure. Uh, um, but yeah, if you the other thing about you know there's a there's a new Dune movie coming out. Yes, from uh, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, which which is some potential there, but it's a t- it's it it has been a tough book to adapt, and yeah. because there's a lot going on, and you know politics and, and ecology and you know uh, uh, finance, uh, you know. Just a whole uh, religion. It, it's pretty much the human experience in, like, you know. Trade negotiations. Trade negotiations. And it Trade actually makes it work. Yeah. Um, which is the fascinating thing. So, um, if you've never if you've never dived in, I highly recommend it. A, and the series gets more interesting over time. Yeah. Because more layers uh, arise in, in the stories. And it's really fascinating how he pulls that, how Herbert pulls that off. Well, and then you get into the added complications from the Bene Gesserit. Oh yeah, um, and and that kind of thing is uh, is really interesting to read. Now, um, your taste for Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, as far as the Dune books, mm. may not exactly be uh, there. But while they've been working on the Dune books, they did a trilogy, an original trilogy, called Hellhole, and. I interviewed them about their Dune books and about this, yeah, yeah. and and wrote a review at least of the first one uh, that you can find on SciFiForMe.com. <coughs> this is a good series. This is this is a good, and it's not. I mean, that's a that's a, that's a book. solid yeah. book right there. That's that's. Uh, let's see, what is it? It's. Um, uh, it has appendices. <laughs> Um, sure. 517 pages of story. Mm-hmm. And this is the first of three. It's a trilogy. And it's a very good book. It's basically about an Earth colony that's off the beaten path that is <clears throat> deciding that uh, they want to be on their own. Okay, sure. And that's where it starts. And the reason that the planet is called Hellhole is because of all the volcanic activity. Ah, sure. Why would you even bother to colonize this place? Well, there's a resource and there's all these different things. It's actually a really interesting set. And and it does get into a little bit of politics Mm -hmm. and military. And it, it, it doesn't ape 
Star Wars or Star Trek or any of those that, you know, I mean, you, there's, there's elements, there's mm-hmm. bits and pieces, but there are bits and pieces that are so generic that you'll find them in any space, sure, space, right, yeah. military space thing. So it's a good, it's a good read. I highly recommend the Hellhole trilogy because yes, uh, it's, yes, it's a fun uh, read. Uh, we do, we do resist the urge to make those jokes. Yeah. We're not going to make those Hellhole jokes. Um, but yes, you're right. There could, are lots of places we could. could. Very well. Um, I'll dive in here with one. Yes, um, yes. So, <coughs> um, I will. I will say this again and again and again. If you have not been reading Terry Pratchett, you need to be reading Terry Pratchett. If you are a fan of Neil Gaiman um, mm-hmm. and have not read Terry Pratchett, you are missing out. Uh, Terry Pratchett, of course, has passed away several years ago. Um, he is probably well. Um, you may have heard of the lady named J.K. Rowling. Right, we're a little, we're a little series little, about a, yeah, about passing a, familiarity some kid with some with kid. a scar on his head. Mm. All right, um, <clears throat> highly derivative. In the UK, Terry Pratchett's bigger. Yeah, and if and you go, justifiably so. Actually, I mean, because I mean, there is nothing wrong with the Harry Potter series. If, if you enjoy them, by all means, fantastic. And I, I encourage you to, you know, if if you if you're Kids love them. If you love them, great. That's absolutely fantastic. I, my dad and I used to go every the movies would come out. And my dad and I would go see them because mm-hmm. we both enjoyed them. But Terry Pratchett uh, doesn't just write fantasy. And when his, initially, it appeared to be he was going to be those lighthearted, funny fantasy writers. Terry Pratchett was an, a man with a lot of anger, and he had a lot of anger at the world, and mostly it was because people are not very nice. <laughs> And he, this made him angry. And this was before the internet. This is before the internet. And he started writing these novels about this this town, which is not London, in this fantasy world, which is a fantasy country that is not England, um, uh-huh. but has elements of it. Um, it's a world where, you know, modern technology doesn't exist, except when it starts to creep in. It's a world where dwarves and elves and, you know, all kinds of trolls, these creatures exist. This is before the internet. Um, different kind of troll. Different kind of troll. <clears throat> and yet, um, <laughs> he also would go back into earlier versions of, of mythology, where elves are sexy, but they're terrifying. Yeah. Because elves are, well, elves are generally kind of bastards, really. I mean, they're awful. Elves are not good, you know, they're, 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 there's a whole sexy, sexy elf, you know, genre trope thing with, you know, urban fantasy. Um, I don't know anything about it. It exists, and it's a thing. But um, was that kind of like slash fiction exists? We know it exists, and we no, do our I, best to stay I away think from it. A lot it. of it came out of like Shadowrun. I think mm. maybe is the the origin of some of that. But but certainly, <clears throat> Pratchett's fantasy world is incredibly rich, and it doesn't just include the Discworld books, which is which is my favorite. He's got other things as well, um, and. He kept writing it. He developed Alzheimer's later in his life, and he, he wrote up until the end. Really, he was dictating. Yeah. And whether you how you feel about his later books when he start when his his Alzheimer's started to affect him, you know. However, aside, an amazing writer with some really fantastic ways of making. There, he did this sneaky thing to you. You're reading along in this book, and you're laughing, and you realize he just taught you something, and you're like. Wait a minute! No. How this dare is, you? This is a trap. <laughs> you I made, remember. You made me think. <clears throat> I remember when the news came out that he was he was done. Yeah. 
Um, he, he had posted an announcement and basically said, all right, I have gone as long as I can go. I can't do anymore because my brain's just not here anymore. Yeah. And it was, it was a, a, a very sad moment for a lot of fans. And then of course, when he died and, and you and David Parsons, uh, did an episode of this show mm. after Pratchett died where you talked about his work and that's on the archive. Yeah. I have to, I would have to look that up to see what episode that was, but um, Mindy, could you do me a favor and look that up? If you go to the dot com, um, and then oh, now I'll 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 do it later because the the navigation tools have changed. I changed the menu. What are you no. looking for? Uh, our H two O episode on Terry Pratchett. It was it was early. It probably would have been in the within the first fifty. May I think so? Yeah, maybe. Right, but yeah, so, so there's there's basically thirty, it's like thirty years of of fiction. The Discworld series has like twenty some books, and it wasn't even the only stuff that he. It's more than twenty books, like mm-hmm. almost thirty books, I think. Anyway, um, if you haven't checked it, Pratchett, check out Pratchett. Um, it's is worth your while, and they're often very very funny. I mean, just like laugh out loud yeah. funny. But they're also, um, you know, they're very smart. It's smart fantasy. Well, of course, we can, you know, funny for the science fiction side of things, Douglas Adams. Oh, sure. You know, Hitchhiker's Guide, all six books in the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. there's other, there's other uh, science fiction series that um, have certainly uh, gone into the realm of humor as well. And certainly fantasy, other uh, humorous fantasy. There's 55. A, oh, 55. There episode 55. <clears throat> So actually, we probably should put a link to that show uh, if I can manage it. I'll I'll see what I can do to put that put that together. Um, um, speaking of humorous fantasy, this is a guy, Tom Holt. He's a British author who very few people seem to have heard of. Uh, this particular one that I'm holding in my hand uh, used to be a library book. I got it fair and square at a library book sale. Did not steal. I it. have a few of those. Withdrawn. It says I, so right there. I have a few of those. Uh, Tom Holt is. Uh, a British author who is also known for writing um, historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Really, really highly regarded historical <clears throat> fiction. But he has written a series of uh, humorous fantasy novels. Uh, this particular one is called Ye Gods. It's the story of, well, he's a demigod. He's alive now. He's a little annoyed because, you know, he wins every fight. He, you know, and, and he keeps being sent off to fight monsters and he's getting kind of bored. <clears throat> yeah. And he gets into a fight with his dad, you know, Zeus. Like he did. Uh, like you do. Like you uh, Very funny stuff. But he's also, there's, the first book of his I ever read was one called Expecting Someone Taller. And it's basically the story of an ordinary guy who runs over what turns out to be a talking badger. <laughs> who has a certain ring mm-hmm. um, that uh, in some guy named, I don't know, Sigurd? Uh, some sort of ring cycle? <laughs> some sort of, sort of thing? And he basically, because he accidentally kills the bearer of the ring, becomes the new bearer of the ring. But he's just some guy. Uh-huh. And so when the Norse gods decide to have a word with this poor young man, everything goes pear-shaped. Sure. He did one about the Flying Dutchman. He's done he's got a, he's been running a series for the last several years about a fantasy world that has 
of elves and 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 goblins and and other creatures who find themselves being invaded by this really difficult species called humanity who is causing all kinds of problems. I have heard stories about this thing called humanity. And they're like, we, we wish they would just leave us alone. <laughs> but it's, it's funny stuff. And the thing is, he's, he's one of those authors who's really flown under the radar for yeah. American audiences. But it's, it's again, it's very clever, funny fantasy. Um, there is, uh, of course, you know, tongue-in-cheek fun, you know, the, the satire of Heinlein's Starship Troopers, mm -hmm. but the you know, Stranger in a Strange Land. I mean, Robert A. Heinlein did a lot of stuff, and it was it was some of it is funny. Some of, oh, some yeah. of it has his he's got his tongue planted firmly in cheek. Oh sure. Um, but there is one book. There's one story that he's got that besides Friday, um, that a lot of people I don't think know about, unless you're a big Heinlein fan, and that's Glory Road. Oh sure, um, right, yeah. Because you've got, you know, of course you've got, you know, Stranger in a Strange Land and the Cat Who Walked Through Walls and that oh there it there's a wrinkle in time. Yep. Madeline Lingle, wrinkle in time. Um but Glory Road is a real interesting an interesting book. E. C. Scar Gordon is on the French Riviera recovering from a tour of combat in Southeast Asia. But he hasn't given up his habit of scanning the personals in the newspaper. One ad in particular... Newspapers were a thing, by the way. One, one back in the day. It's true. This is the ad. Are you a coward? This is not for you. We badly need a brave man. He must be 23 to 25 years old, in perfect health, at least 6 feet tall, weigh about 190 pounds, fluent English, with some French, proficient in all weapons... Some knowledge of engineering and mathematics essential, willing to travel, no family or emotional ties, indomitably courageous and handsome of face and figure. That would cut me out. Permanent employment, very high pay, glorious adventure, great danger. You must apply in person, Rue, Dante, Nice, etc., etc. So the, it's this, here's... The Empress of Twenty Universes and this guy and the adventure that they go on. Yeah. And it's actually it's a really it's it's a it's a it's a good it's a good read. It's a it's a fun book. Um the the whole cross country find somebody, meet yeah, up sure. and go across uh the talisman. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. From Stephen King and Peter Straub. Right. Um, and I, I think I've told this story before, um, when I was in high school, I believe my dad got this book and it's a, it's a massive, oh, yeah. the hardback is huge. Sure. It's a coffee table book. It's been so big. And he, I, I saw, I ran across him and he was reading this book. I was like, what is, what is dad doing reading a Stephen King book? He's not into horror. He's not, why is he reading this book? So I asked him, I said, why are you reading? He said, oh, it's pretty good. And I think he was part of a, I think he was part of a, uh, buying, uh, not necessarily like the Columbia House book club sure, or anything right, like yeah. that, mm -hmm. but I think he was on this subscription service where he, you know, he got an offer every now and again for, right, a, sure. for a new book or a club or whatever. And he got this book and he was reading. He said it was pretty good. So I read it 
and completely not what I was expecting right. for a Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. Now, it's got its scary moments. It's got its, you know, n- not a lot of gore, but it's, you know, it, it's it got its its tough parts. Right, yeah. Um, but I think some of that might be Peter Straub. See, I'm, I'm, I've read quite a bit of Peter Straub as well, and he's one of those authors who tends to maybe slide under the radar for horror mm. and for thrillers because some of his books are definitely they might have little horrific elements but they're more thrillers and and more uh, very clever right stu- st- uh, uh, studies of people in and I, I highly recommend uh, in fact pick up a, uh, I think it's called, uh, mystery is one of the titles uh, that I would definitely recommend yeah uh, it's actually the name of the book. So no, he's another one that, uh, but he's more he's more of a mystery author with horror elements. Although he certainly has had some horror, mm-hmm. there's certainly some of that in there. But there's a lot more of the the intellectual mystery. No. Now the second book, Black House, not as good. No, although <laughs> it was, I was entertained by it, but it wasn't as good. No, it's it's not that it's a bad book. It's it's it's, just, it's that lightning in a bottle. It's hard. Thing. It's hard you to follow. Can't it's, do it twice. Yeah, I mean the fact the fact that King has managed to to have a to write enough sequels to his own work mm. over time and maintain a fairly good you know there's a variation but a fairly amount of you know of quality where you could actually have a big budget sequel to The Shining and people sitting there going okay mm-hmm. so I mean that's a risky thing. By the way, for those of you who are wondering, it's Doctor Sleep with Ewan McGregor playing right. the. Okay, so everybody knows the shot of the little boy on the on the big wheel going through the hallway in the hotel. Ewan McGregor is the grown up right, version of that little boy. So there's that. Now speaking of a series that is a little bit mystery and a lot horror and a little bit horror and a lot mystery, mm. if you have not read the John Connolly books, if you are a horror fan. If you are a mystery fan, this is very much a um, you know a lean. I have a few of these who lean straight more into the horror side. Um, he has a series of books. Uh, Black Angel was uh, two thousand and five, um, and it is part of the Charlie Parker mysteries, Charlie Parker thrillers. And the interesting thing about this is while they play very much with the standard almost almost film noirish kind of detective novel set in modern day. All right. They also lean heavily into the fact that evil, the idea that evil is a force and that many of the people that, that this detective, this private detective encounters uh, in the course of, of dealing with bad people are more than just bad people. Mm-hmm. And so it's got this, it's a slow burn horror series that's masquerading as mystery novels. Uh, and I highly ra- the writing is extremely good. It's not an easy read emotionally, yeah. Because he's very Connolly is is somebody who uh, does not shy away from violence. He's not shy away from showing violence. Um, but uh, he is also an extremely good writer. He also has written a series of children's books. Now this is not Charlie Parker, the saxophone player. Jazz no, but he musician. shares he shares, the, shares name, the name, and that's actually a uh, that's actually a point of the se- that's referenced during the series. Yeah. Uh, but John Connolly has also written some some books aimed at children, um, and they're quite good. 
because I've got a chance. I got a chance to listen to them when, when I was doing the driving thing. Yeah. And so he's quite. He's, he's an excellent author, but it is definitely an interesting. You know, if you if you like horror and you like mysteries, this is a great combination. Uh, there is a, a series of books that is not necessarily a horror, but they're kind of the supernatural mystery type, kind of like that. And they're, the tone is a little cheeky, a little irreverent. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the Pepper Martin Mysteries. Uh, by uh, Casey Daniels is the author's name, and she's got several of these. The first one, Dawn of the Dead. Not Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Don. As in Don. Mafia oh, there we boss go. Don. Um, and the stories are about this young woman, uh, Pe- uh, Pepper Martin, who works as a tour guide in a historic cemetery and has an accident and hits her head and now can see dead people. Like you do. helps them finish their unfinished business, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out who killed them. I mean, usually they're murder murder victims. Sure, right. We got to figure out who did it. So this person could have some peace and cross over and, and be gone and be done. And this is, I don't know, probably, I think there's maybe four or five, six mm. stories in this, in this series. And they're pretty good. I mean, it's, it's a haunting, it's mm-hmm. a supernatural, it's the supernatural mystery thriller type of thing. So, um, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a fun bit. I had at one point talked and had emailed Casey and her reps about the possibility of adapting Dawn of the Dead as a script. Ah. Um, because back in that day, uh, she was just starting out and nobody knew who she was and, and thing. And I think at, at one point there was discussion of doing an adaptation of the first book, but I don't think it's ever come mm. to anything. So... Maybe I've still got a shot. Maybe you got a shot. It'll be it'll be the new sci-fi for me mystery series. There you go. Um, this is Garth Nix, who's a Australian author, mm. and a fantasy series, um, the Abhorson, Sabriel, and Lyriel, and they are it's an alternate England, um, basically with the technology about World War One level. Okay. And north, the north, which would basically be Scotland, um, is magic still works. Okay. And to the south, magic doesn't work anymore. And there's basically a wall that separates these two realms. And um, forces would like to revive some of the older... Uh, more powerful entities mm. and move things a little south and take over things. And <clears throat> it's an interesting series because it it has its focus is a world that is fairly recognizable and yet very, very different. Right. And strong young characters, male and female, who are put, who are by the nature of being forced into confronting this world and, and the conflict that they have to deal with yeah. uh, have to become 
uh, have to step up and, and become you know, the barrier in between good and evil. And richly done fantasy world, incredibly well done world building. And an exploration of magic, which is not generally magic through dealing uh, magic through the power of sound, the power of music. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and you have to go back to Alan. De- I, for me, it was, I, had to, I had to go back to Alan Dean Foster's Spellsinger series, uh, which oh, right. of course right. uh, was song is uh, song and well, rock and roll, uh, and the power <laughs> of magic. But it's um, again, it's another series that is it, it's out there. You can find it in on U.S. shelves, but it doesn't necessarily get quite the attention I think it should. They're targeted. They're called basically in theory young adult novels. Mm-hmm. But I'll be honest, as a grown up. Reading them, I thought they were extremely well written. I really enjoyed the characters, no. um, and I think that it's uh, well worth your time. You talk about young people trying to make their way through, after you know, in in the landscape of war and and strife and trial and, mm-hmm. and tribulation and whatnot. This book, <clears throat> this was this was published in. Originally, 1959. Mm-hmm. So stop and consider where we were at. The World War II was sure. over. The nuclear age had just begun, practically. Mm-hmm. And, oh my God, we're going to all die from a nuclear bomb. Right, yeah. And Pat Frank did this book called The Last Babylon. Mm-hmm. I read this book in either late junior high or early high school and it stuck with me enough that i bought a copy mm-hmm. and i've read it a couple of two three times it's almost like red dawn you have the oh, young sure, people right. having to survive and and learn how to develop basically a new culture in the wake of a nuclear holocaust mm-hmm. And it's not just, oh, somebody accidentally tripped a bomb. It was, you know, the nuclear holocaust like Hunger Games. It's right. the aftermath of World War Three, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 a, it's a good book. And it's not, and it's been a while since I've read it. But I don't, it would not be in my library if it preached at me, you know, because it's, you know, the horrors of nuclear war sure, type right. of thing. I mean, you could very easily go off that path and and start, you know. Getting but there are, admittedly, there aren't too many people who are saying they're going nuclear war would be okay. What I mean, nuclear power. Oh, sure. And, you know, right, any yeah. any kind of mm-hmm. use of nuclear anything, and you know, because you have those people that are sure you know, nuclear is t- nuclear is bad. Well, I think I think that. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't help when we actually have real life experience with Three Mile Island and Chernobyl and some of the other things. Japan. There's certainly been, you know, it that kind of that kind of thing can reinforce that very very easily. And while there's, you know, nuclear power has been a huge part of science fiction. You know, it's taken us to the stars and and how many science fiction novels I can't even count. Yep. Um, but you know, it is it's 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 technology with risks. No. Another world war concept mm-hmm. this is from our friend dayton ward yeah um who normally usually you see his name attached to a star trek book right the there's two books here that he's written the first one is called the last world war and the sequel is counter-strike the last world war 
and it's basically extraterrestrials visiting Earth. They land in Missouri. Uh, it's it makes first as much contact. sense as anything else. Uh, it's a first contact. It ends up in heated battle. Sure. That uh, a group of humans ends up taking to their alien world through portals. It's it's a it's a good it's a good set. I I recommend it. Um, I've got this particular one is Three Days to Never by Tim Powers. Tim Powers is one of those fantasy authors who um, every other other writers sit there and say, you should read Tim Powers. Mm. And yet he doesn't seem to have quite the cachet as, say, Neil Gaiman or, or, or I don't pick Pick a big-name fantasy author. Um, Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett. Well, certainly Terry Pratchett. Um, he has written a bunch of books. Declare, Last Call. Didn't Tim Powers write the book that the... Uh, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean book uh, On Stranger Tides. Yes. Yes. So there's Tim Powers with this amazing book called On Stranger Tides, <laughs> which was butchered. Butchered, I tell you. Let me use that word again. Butchered into. But they paid. Don't him. hold back. Don't hold they back. They paid him, so he's like, I, he's like, you know, I took the money. I have no one to. No one can. can yeah. I can't blame him. I took the money. Um, <clears throat> But the novel itself is an example of what, what Powers does, is that he finds the spaces in the real history where he can sneak some fantasy in. So, oh, sure. So basically On Stranger Tides is the story of uh, the pirate Blackbeard and zombies and magic sure. and um, the Fountain of Youth and the young man who is a who's captured when his boat is, is attacked by pirates. Uh, his father was a puppet maker, and so he knows how to. He, he's a puppet. He's become a puppet, puppet maker. And the nightmare world he falls into with this world of the supernatural, and it's well, that sounds very much like Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. No, because <laughs> it's a good book. <laughs> oh, um, I see. Yeah. But the book that I the book that I first read of his uh, that really got me into his stuff is called uh, Stress of Her Regard, which is hard to find these days. But basically, it takes the true stories of Lord Byron, Percy Shelley, Mary Shelley, uh, John Polidari, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of these names that, sh that were hugely influential with uh, Varney the Vampire, Frankenstein, right. um, uh, Percy Shelley wrote a, uh, and both Byron they both wrote a lot of poetry that is. Uh, fantastical or horror in nature uh this these this these group were hugely influential in in a very specific window of time that is you know influenced a lot of other writers um they had some very interesting stuff really happen to them that we've got these weird records of and so what he does is he takes this, their stories and says now what if we had elemental vampires Here's what really happened. Here's what really happened, and the books are amazing. Now he goes into the he goes into present day as well. But if you get a chance to pick it up, uh, Declare is probably it's it's what happened during the Cold War with the creatures that live on Mount Ararat. There's a reason people think the Ark is on Ararat, but that's not Noah's Ark. <laughs> that's something else that landed on on that mountain, uh. and it didn't have people in it, and it is. It is literally, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's the Cold War with genies. 
and it's uh, the the gin of of ancient uh, myth. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Highly recommend his stuff. Great fantasy novels. And you talk about fitting into historical mm-hmm. stuff. Greg Cox did two Kanunian Singh books. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a masterwork of weaving in the eugenics wars of the 1990s into the actual historical events of the 1990s. It, it, he, he takes historic events throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, all, all the way up through 1996 mm-hmm. or whenever, whenever it was that, there were, that the Botany Bay was launched. Right. <clears throat> and the eugenics wars in these books all happen in the background. Right. And the eugenics wars are what's going on that causes all of this geopolitical turmoil that we all got caught up in. In the 90s. In, in the 80s and 90s. And it is worth the price of admission alone just for the cameos. <laughs> because everybody shows up in these books. Um, and the, the one... There's a couple of them that are really, really, really fun because Robert Lansing, who played Gary Seven, Gary Seven figures into these stories. Robert Lansing played Gary Seven in an episode of Star Trek. It was supposed to be a backdoor pilot for Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln, played by Terry Garr, to go have their own their own show. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. But uh, Gary Seven comes in and meets Khan and tries to influence Khan to do do good for humanity because mm-hmm. there's so much potential here. And uh, it now becomes this back and forth for, you know, again, they're, they're right. become opponents. But there's one spot where um, uh, Sean Christopher, who is the son of the Air Force pilot that we picked up at the beginning of the early Star Trek Season one. Right. Right. Sean Christopher, who's going to be the first astronaut to go to Saturn or whatever, right? He's in this book. Um, the guy who was in charge, Dr. Nichols, Dr. Mark Nichols, who, who invented transparent aluminum. Oh, sure. Right. Yes, yeah, he's uh-huh. in this book. Uh, Jillian. Uh, right. Dr. Jillian. Um, uh, what is her last name? I don't recall name. her last name. That's From Star Trek Four. Yeah. Um, she's in this book early, mm-hmm. uh, young. She's still a, a college student when we prior meet her to, this book. Prior to her meeting uh, yeah. the crew of the Enterprise. And then, of course, you have the non-Star Trek cameos mm-hmm. uh, from people like, um, let's see. Well, Robert Lansing is still playing the character, but according to Greg Cox, just one little line basically establishes Gary Seven as control from the Equalizer. Uh, well, of course. <laughs> because Gary Seven played, uh, sure. Robert Lansing played both characters. Right. right? So the Equalizer is mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the original, not the Denzel Washington version. Uh, Edward and, Woodard. Ed, yeah, Edward Woodard. And then you have Jillian Taylor. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. And um, you also have uh, at the summit between Reagan and Gorbachev 
in Iceland. You remember mm-hmm. that? Right. The yeah, jelly yeah. beans and all this. Uh, at one point, Roberta Lincoln, who's on assignment, undercover, she runs across Jamie Summers, <laughs> the bionic woman. Of course. And you never, she's never mentioned my name. But the description is tennis player. She's got a really strong, strong grip. And I thought, <laughs> I know what he did there. I see what you did. I called him out on Facebook about it. He's like, ah, I'm glad you saw that. <laughs> um, but those are, those are good. Those are good fun books. And, and the amount of historic detail of the, the real things that are going yeah. on in those, those days. Uh, it's really interesting to, to see. Um, Continuing with our Holocaust and war stories, this is one that's rather interesting um, because of what came out of it, not necessarily because of what the book actually is. This is Armageddon 2419 AD, which is the original Buck Rogers story. Mm -hmm. This is it's uh, it's by Philip Francis Nolan. And this is the first story that tells Buck Rogers right. stuff. Um, and it's quite a bit different from oh, Buck yeah. Rogers in the 25th century well, so afterwards. I mean, it's, it's, it's like Cyborg is the book that inspired the $6 million man. Right. There's superficial resemblance. If you look at it from a certain angle... And count, and notice that some of the names are the same. Yeah, um, but yeah, this is it's it's an interesting read. Oh yeah, it is. Especially it, given the fact that it's supposed to have happened in certain amount of time uh, that's already passed. Because right. this is he's a World War One veteran still mm-hmm. in this, and and jumping up into the twenty fifth century and his encounters there. Um, I mean, Wilma Deering is in this book, right? Buck Rogers is in this book, but his name—I don't think his name was William in this one. Um, I can't remember who did it. Somebody did an actual sequel to this novel, which was, and it was basically continuing the story of this version of Buck Rogers. Mm. And I cannot, for the life of me, who remember who wrote the sequel. Well, and um, Howard Chaykin did a new adaptation of mm. this. In comics uh, a few years ago, and and I was Anthony Rogers, mm. uh, Buck Rogers. Um, this is this is a good one. And then a tie-in, you know, which mentioned Greg Cox, a tie-in to the alien invasion, global war, right. world, world war stuff, the V series of novels. Much better than the VTV series. No. <laughs> That's not saying much. But I yes. know. And yeah. it, even had, it even had a great cast, too. I know, I know, I know. Um, this is the first one that came out past... Coast Crisis. There was, there was the novelization of the miniseries. Right. And then this was the first original one. And this is by Howard Weinstein and A.C. Crispin. and Crispin. But it says here... Howard Weinstein and A.C. Crispin, author of V and Yesterday's Sun. Now, that tells you that that kind of dates it at, at yeah. some point because Yesterday's Sun was Anne Crispin's first book. Mm-hmm. And it is a brilliant book. And it is one of those that came out back in the day when Pocket Books was taking manuscript submissions from anybody. Yeah. 
She didn't have an agent. She'd never written a lick in her life and just had this idea of McCoy and Spock playing chess, and there it went. And she wrote this very, very, very good Star Trek novel. Yeah, it's an excellent novel. And the sequel is almost as good. Not quite there, but, you know, it's what it is. But um, but that that opened up a number of doors, and she was able to do uh, one or two of these. I think she did, did, did a few. She and Howard Weinstein. And of course, Howard Weinstein ended up writing in the Star Trek universe right. as well, in the comics and a couple of novels. Um, actually, we mentioned Star Trek Four. Weinstein wrote a book that is very close to, in themes, uh, close to Star Trek Four in terms of the ecological stuff, the whales, and, and sure. you know, the, only it happens on another planet. And I can't remember the name of the book, hmm. but it fig it features Spock and Chekhov quite prominently oh, in that book. Yeah. Um, I can't think of oh, yeah. It's it's around. Me. It's it's yeah. down there somewhere on the shelf, but. Um, any of the V, the, the earlier V novels in the series are better than the later ones. Sure. Like the first um, four are really yeah. quite good. Yeah. And they take, they expand the story outside of the, the, the TV cast to take it to different cities and deal with it. Yeah. Cause, uh, uh, East coast crisis takes place in New York. Right. And it picks up, it starts pretty much the same spot mm -hmm. where the ship starts showing up and you get a different look at when the visitors arrive at the UN building, right. you know, a little bit different perspective of those same scenes from the stuff. And every now and again, you get glimpses of what's going on stuff that we've already seen in the Los Angeles right. stuff. But, but for the most part, it's, it's a, it's a good solid thing. Um, we're doing a lot of war stories tonight. Well, there's a, there's a huge thing with science fiction and war. And, and basically there's the, the, you know, the big epic space battle where it's part and parcel of the genre. Yeah. I mean, we can't, you can't get around the fact that, um, some of the biggest science fiction stories have been about conflicts with alien species, you know, and, and, and certainly whether that's in, in TV and movies, but in books as well. Yeah. I mean, you look at the, the one you're holding in your hand there. Um, but it's, it's more than just, that's one of those books, um, where it's more than just about the war. Yeah. And I think that's some of the, one of the things that, um, while I, you know, I, um, and uh, this is this is Ender's Game, but Orson Scott Card. No, which... I, I haven't. There's there's certain of I've, I've enjoyed some of his books more than others, um, but I think overall the Ender's series has stayed pretty consistently high quality yeah. throughout the entire run. And you know, there's. Um, I don't think I don't think all of his books can quite go that way. His, his the Tales of Alvin Maker series, which is an alternate U.S. Uh, history with magic, mm. uh, uh, where the Native American uh, they resisted they resisted against the European uh, arrival a little better than our our own Native Americans. Gotcha. Uh, so, but because of that, there was a lot of that had to do with uh, there being more magic in the U.S. Interesting series, uh, but but no, certainly the Ender's Game have, uh, and the and especially the first one. It's just a it's it's a yeah. very good, and the fascinating thing about it, of course, is that it's a story, which you don't get as much in science fiction, which is although we've talked about some tonight already, um, understanding the other, and re and empathizing with the other, yeah. which is not a bad message. 
Yeah. Get along, people. Now, this book, uh, which is the sequel to the book that I would say you, you know, this is a decent book, uh, but the first one, Descent. Uh-huh. Not base, not the basis for the movie, The Descent, although both of them involve going underground. Um, this is not about getting along. This is very much about not getting along. Right. Um, imagine, if you will, uh, discovering that it's not that the world is hollow, but there's and a touch the sky. There's a whole lot of open space down there, and it's not empty. And all the stories we've ever had about demons and creatures from below. Guess what? There's things that live down there. And they used to be human. But over time and exposure to gases that don't make it to the surface, things like that, they have become, if not necessarily demons, but demonic in appearance and something like that. And what if it turns out there's a lot of them? Like like the kaiju coming through the hole in the except seat. Except uh, more human scale and a lot more brutal than giant monsters. Um, basically, it's what if there are concepts of an underground hell turn out to not be wrong. Mm. Um, and the first book especially, the second book gets a little too... I think the second book tries to explain things a little too much. Yeah. There's an ambiguity, ambiguity to the first book where surely there's clearly a scientific explanation for all of this stuff. Unless... <laughs> And the second book really kind of tries to make that a little more clear. And it's not bad, but uh, Jeff Long. If you, uh, and he hasn't just written fantasy and, and horror like this, which is, this is, I'd say this definitely leans more in the horror category. But he's also written some, some of the more dramatic thriller kind of things, so he's yeah. got a range. But uh, definitely something to check out. If you like to be creeped out and ever thought about going caving and realize, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we've got a, a, a nice pile of books that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, yeah. There's a couple of them. And you've got one there, and I've got a series that I definitely want to mention. If I'm going to wrap, uh, if I'm going to go one more, and then I'm going to go with. Yeah, we'll go to Oscar Reynolds. I mean, we mentioned, we mentioned Honor Harrington. I mentioned Dragon Riders. Those are always good series. Um, if you're going to start those... If you haven't ever read those, Dragonflight is the first Dragon Riders of Pern books. And On Basilisk Station is the first Honor Harrington book. So that's that's where you start on those. Um, Alistair Reynolds. Uh -huh. If you want... Uh, imagine, if you will, humanity has made it to the stars. And we discover that there's a whole lot of dead civilizations out there. And something's been killing them off. And it's still out there. And we don't know what it is. We don't know what triggers it. But it notices us. Ah. And it is uh, the first book called Revelation Space. This is the, I think this is actually the, yeah, this is the final volume uh, of, the, of the series. Um, and it is high concept science fiction. I mean, it is, it's, it explores the nature of humanity. It explores... In our place in the universe, it explores uh, the other races and what their, you know, archaeology and anthropology. So it makes you think. It makes you think. And I think that one of the things about it that is a lot of fun um, is that it presents you with a universe that you have to think about 
in a in a in a logical way to understand the story, mm -hmm. and I think that that the the quality of, of Reynolds' uh, writing is, I mean, it draws you in very, very well. But it also gives you these characters who are not what you would expect them to be. And yet are incredibly engaging. And it's an absolutely fantastic villain. Uh, because it's not something you can comprehend. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, hey, oh, wait, it's Alien? What? <laughs> so, excellent, excellent science fiction series. I highly recommend... Uh, uh, the Revelation space uh, series. We mentioned Heinlein before, and he has a whole series of what they call the Heinlein juveniles, mm -hmm. like Space Cadet and those kind of things, where it's it's the easier read. We want the kids to start reading, and here are these, you know, right. Rocket Ship Galileo and that kind of thing. Now, there is a series of books that I discovered when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and it has taken me a long, long, long time to find it mm. and to collect all four of them finally where I can sit and I can read them again. Right. It is the last legionary series by Douglas Hill. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, you see they're not, they're not long books. They're not big books. They're, no. These are, these are for younger readers essentially for the most part. Um, the first book in the series is Galactic Warlord. And basically this is about, uh, a a green lantern, I guess, for if you want a modern equivalent, a green lantern who gets a Wolverine treatment. Mm. Uh, he is the last legionary. His name is Kyle Rendor, and it's basically he's a space cop, mm -hmm. and his entire, well, he's a mercenary. His entire race of legionaries is. Uh, out for hire. We will fight your war for you. Gotcha. As long as your war has the the right purpose. If, oh, sure. if you are in the right, we will fight your war for you. And his entire race is wiped out. And he's the last one. Oh, and sure. he gets exposed to the radiation that kills everybody else. But he's far enough out that it's killing him slowly. Mm. And so there's this this race of aliens who pick him up and they repair him and they basically replace his skeleton with this titanium alloy type of thing. It's not adamantium, but it might as well. But, it's the same yeah. kind of thing. Um, now these, this story was first published in 1979. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where it predates Wolverine or not. The idea there. Um, but, I want to say that Wolverine um, was mid eighties. So yeah, I think it's, so. it's around that same time, but uh, they're very fun books, uh, and he's basically out for revenge. Right. He is tracking down the galactic warlord who is responsible for the death of his people. So that's that's the series of books. Okay, so here it is. We've got an hour and a half. We are now in our Q&A segment. And we'll see if anybody has <laughs> any This may be very short. Very short. Um, <laughs> Peter Samedi... Over at Alterna Comics, mm. he has uh, a thing that he's been doing lately where he has a live uh, discussion, you know, 15 minutes of fame, he calls it, <clears throat> with various different comic book creators that are doing Alterna titles and, and you know, talking to them about how they got in, how they got started and what mm -hmm. they like to do and those kind of things. And then they do the Q, they open up to Q&A. And he's got a little he's got a little timer that he calls Timey Tim. And we have this 
this chicken. I posted this on 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 social media earlier. We have this chicken timer. <laughs> um, Peter Samedi has Tiny Tim. We <coughs> we have Rooster Clockburn. Oh oh <laughs> oh! Except okay, it doesn't work. Enough. It doesn't it work. Doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's drunk and blind, just there we like go. just like just Rooster. Like, just like Rooster yes. yes. So okay. it is. It is a nice prop that ticks, but it doesn't ding when it hits uh, zero. It just kind of stops. Stops. Yeah, it just kind of slows out. So okay. So we'll we'll do this. Um, uh, if anybody's got questions in the chat, uh, if you want to drop some money in as a super chat, that's that's fine. Uh, we, I, I said super chat questions would go to the head of the line. It's not a big deal. Ask us a question. Right, yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, if you've got anything that you're just burning, you have to know. Uh, you can you can ask us uh, you can ask us those questions. I'm going to go over into Twitter and check the hashtag h2o podcast and i see nobody's used it so no questions there you missed your chance um so we'll we'll can you okay when we started all of this yeah way back in the day this is what three years ago now four years ago almost four years ago four years ago i think it was 2015 i think we did the christmas one um do you ever think we get to 200? Um, you know, I don't know. I guess I never really thought about it. It was just one of those things where cause we started doing it because we thought it would just be fun yeah. for you and I to sit around and talk about this stuff. And then it was going to be every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Superhero Stuff became our sponsor. Yeah. And they said every week. And we were like, oh, wait. We're every week now? Yeah, because they promoted sure. this. said, hey, we just we got this new thing. We're, we're, we're partners with this new show. And they go every week. It was a, so speaking of superhero stuff, well, we can throw that up real quick. We have negotiated with them. They came back after, after a while, after I think uh, um, 100 or so episodes. They reorganized and did some different things. Sure, right. And then they came back, and they're now uh, sort of, it's not really a sponsorship so much, but we've negotiated a discount with them. If you go to SuperheroStuff.com, when you enter the promo code sci for me 10 when you check out, you'll get 10% off of your yeah. order. So there is that. And I have to say, we have our very first Subscribestar supporter. Yeah. If you go to subscribestar.com slash sci-fi for me, it's like Patreon without the politics. It's, it's, you know, it's a little bit less rigid in terms of who they allow to to play in their sandbox but uh five we have just got it set up five dollars a month uh and you can support our channel that way uh, and then uh i guess we'll set up some perks and some different things that people have to do i looked at it the the last post that i had put in there was when i came back from c2e2 Right. It'd been that long since I've been in there. I'm like, well, we don't have anybody. We don't have any supporters. We haven't got anybody subscribed, so I haven't yeah. really thought about it. But now we do. We have our first subscriber. Well, so. we do something then. Welcome. And, <laughs> Welcome. And thank you for the support. Sure. Um, when we went dark mm-hmm. about this time last year, yeah, I thought that was it. I thought that was. I thought we were done. Well, H two O had actually ended a little bit before that. It had. 
Because uh, you, you were doing... You left me all alone. <laughs> I did. I left you hanging. With the Tim Harvey show. The and Tim I was Harvey just show. like, oh my God, I got to do this on my own. But the Tim Harvey show sounds much better than the Jason Hunt show. Well, but I'll tell you what, it, it came out, it was such a weird time because, uh, you know, right at the time the show started was when, you know, um, we had the explosion. Harvey Weinstein mm. uh, coming, you know, the public, the the real, you know, the exposure of what his, what he's been doing. Kevin Spacey. I mean, all these like... And so it was like every week it was like, could we please not have another? I, I remember when you did, there was one, I think it was maybe your fourth or fifth one. Because you only did eight of them. Yeah. It was about halfway through when you said, I'd really like to be talking about something else now. Yeah, please. because it's like every week, <laughs> which I mean, which is the way that, you know, I mean, it's it, it was an important thing that was going on. I mean, these people, you know, getting getting Harvey Weinstein away from from running Everybody. a studio and, yeah. and, and, and women in general sounds like a great idea. Uh, and I think that, you know, I'm glad it happened, but at the same time, it was just like, could we please have something else that wasn't just, no. and, and, and I think for some, for a lot of people, you know, if you grew up with the unusual suspects or Kevin Spacey's performances, his performances, Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor in Superman Returns was great. Yeah. It was a great Luthor, uh, still st- stupid real estate issue, but sure. But still, I mean, he was he was scary at times, and and so he was this amazing actor. Just to lose that in like, oh wait, you know, yeah. Once again, as a reminder, folks, um, just because you think somebody is an amazing performer, doesn't mean they're a nice person, and that's okay. I mean, and it's not okay. The flip side of that is, just because somebody says somebody's a creep, doesn't make them a creep. And that's yeah, also very yeah, I mean, true. But the, I mean, you the also, whole innocent until proven guilty thing still needs to be a thing. Sure, and and no so. argument. But at the same time, I think you you know the recognizing that the pop culture has has made a lot of people very very pa- famous, and they brought them into our homes, mm-hmm. and so we end up with these connections with these folks that that are. Not really connections. Not really connections. I think they are. And so we end up having these emotional attachments to people who are just people. And some of them are incredibly talented people who are not good people. And it's worth it's worth considering how you can disconnect the art from the artist. Because Well, we mentioned Orson Scott Card. A lot of people have decided to throw him under the bus because I'm not a fan of his. I'm not a fan of his politics or his worldview. Personally, I find I find them offensive. But he's an amazing writer, Mm. and 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 I've never quite understood how he could write Ender's Game, and the the Ender series where he talks about understanding and empathy, and then he says some of the things that he says. It's like, do you read your own books? Because. I want to talk to the guy who wrote Ender's Game, mm-hmm. not the person who is, you know, and and again, it, some of this comes down on your religious and political views and things like that. Right. And so this is my opinion, but at the same time, you know, um, you know, he's, I I cannot argue with the fact that Ender's Game is one of the finest science, modern science fiction novels there is. However, I feel about the man. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that's something that you have to recognize is that. You don't have to, it's tough sometimes to separate the two, but the artist and the art are not the same thing. Right. Well, and, and this discussion has come up again over, uh, John Campbell, John W. Campbell, Mm -hmm. who was the publisher of, uh, Astounding Magazine. 
Well, and I, I, I think it's almost an extension of the argument, the discussion with Lovecraft, where you look at what this person accomplished and their influence on a genre, well, and yet you can argue that the person themselves, for all of, for all, whether it's whether it's a product of their time or they're just an awful person who had talent, looking at some of these characters, some of these people from history, like Campbell, or some of the people from that time period at all, there were a lot of really, really. You know, um, you go back and you look at like the the a lot of the pulp novels. There's so many stereotypes and and racist views written built into the to the stories, right? And sometimes that was a product of the person's writing, and sometimes it was a product of the person's time. And yet, well, and I would and it's say it's hard to look at the prism of now, but it's and it, and it's very easy for people to do it too. Well, and it's the tough. problem the problem is that people do it. Um, you cannot, and I and I would say it is it is very difficult for me to accept that you, that you generic you I'm not talking to anybody specific you are going to judge someone someone's work someone's person or whatever from a completely different time and from a completely different culture even but same- even if it's still an American even if it's you know American the fifties American the sixties. It's completely different kind of America that it is now. Well, and even then and, from the from the forties and the twenties and the and yeah, the 90s. and and you want to apply all of two thousand nineteen. But it's tough. But I think I think that culture you, war to but the I don't last hundred years. Know that it's necessary it's, culture war because it's not it's not a new thing. We've been doing it for as long as we've been looking back at our own history, and I think that now again we come back to the fact that we have the instant viewpoint can go out into the world, I know, right? And someone but, can say, "Okay, we have to take Laura Ingalls Wilder out of the out of the out of the books, uh, out of the libraries." We had I don't know, know who's doing that. There, it was in the news several several you know well the a, the arguments over Huck Finn, you know. But that's been but that's been going on from uh, that's the, the pick a pick a politics side. It's been argued back and forth there are people who are trying to ban it uh there were uh cons- there was a conservative movement at various points to try and ban it from schools because of oh god it's the language and mark twain is obscene and et cetera, et cetera. and there's been liberal views of the same thing it doesn't it it's not a one side fits all well and, and, and i, I think know. you have to be, you have to be the careful internet, the internet exacerbates all of, of that. course i mentioned i mentioned a campbell mm-hmm. we mentioned john campbell i'm i'm gonna flip the flip the script here a little bit real quick sure and do some nonfiction. We've because we talk about Star Wars a lot. Oh yeah, Joseph Campbell. This mm. is a nonfiction book. It is not anything having to do with science fiction or fantasy or horror or drama or anything like that. However, the hero with a thousand faces. This is a very very good book. One for understanding archetypes right. and story structure and. The things that resonate with an audience in a story. There's a reason why Luke Skywalker resembles King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Resembles... Or Han Solo uh, resembles Lancelot. Yeah, or, it, I mean, it, they're archetypes. You know, Obi-Wan Kenobi is Merlin. And, you know, those kind of things. I, I would recommend The Hero with a, the Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. We're not getting any questions... No. So, I'm thinking that we probably can wrap up and be done and finish our pizza and and go away. Two hundred. Two hundred. What are right. we going to do for our next two hundred? Talk more about books. 
Oh, probably. We, and we, movies. We, we honestly. Oh, wait, did, oh, we, oh, oh, we got something. Any advice? Oh, Thomas is asking if we have any advice for his interview tomorrow with Oroville associate producer Tom Constantino. One, congratulations on getting the getting yeah, the interview. No that's that's a nice get. Um, um, make it just make it a conversation. I don't think of it as don't think of it as questions and, yeah. and anything like that. Just have a conversation. If you can record it, record it so that you can oh, definitely. pull back yeah. to it. Because yeah. well, I imagine this will be for his podcast. Yeah, and I think that I think that you know one of the things that I found with with trying to interview people is that if I'm if I'm concentrating on trying to take notes. I'm I'm thinking too hard about yeah. splitting my attention instead of just having the conversation with the person, which is a lot of fun right. for me. But as far as prep goes, notes are very important. Oh, One yeah. of the things that I do in my research when I'm getting ready to interview somebody um, is, de- well, depending on who it is. Let's say I'm I'm going to interview somebody. Well, in in television, first place I go is IMDb. Yeah, and. I'll look at the filmography. I'll look at the things that they've worked on, but I'm also looking at the biographical stuff, yeah. and I'm also looking at the trivia about the person and the different things. And I'll look at, you know, the trivia section in some of the shows. Let's say, okay, so let's, you know, Tom Constantino, he's working on on Orville. The Orville listing in IMDb is going to have a number of trivia items, and Tom Constantino's listing on IMDb might have some trivia stuff. Might have some, some interesting biographical things. Oh, you studied needlepoint in in college. How did that help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I try to source as much information as I can yeah. about who I'm going to talk to. I may never use it, right? Um, especially if they have something specific to promote. But if it's just, you know, if we're just having a conversation, if somebody mentioned, you know, if that person mentions something, I can go this way and say, oh, well, yeah, my starting point for doing interviews, whenever I look at examples of people to emulate, is Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson would do so much homework in prepping for his interviews on late night and he made it look effortless. And it was just, we're just having a conversation. We just riff on an idea. And, oh, you mentioned this. And we go this way and you get this way. And then Taxi Driver. And I know it's an odd juxtaposition of Johnny Carson and Taxi Driver. But Jodie Foster did an interview at one point where she talked about working with Robert De Niro on that movie. And there's a particular scene that they have where they interact and she said they rehearsed that so much they were able to do the scene backwards <laughs> so that when it came time to actually shoot it when de niro went off script she was able to go right along with it right yeah and it's that preparation that makes it possible to do that kind of thing where you can go in and out and back and forth sure. of the different ideas. So I would say do as much homework as you can, knowing that 90% of it you're not going to use, but um, through the course of the conversation, you can keep an eye out, keep an ear out for those nuggets that allow you to tangent into something. And 
you know, look at other interviews with this person. I was going to say that. And one of the things that I try to do is ask the questions that nobody else is asking. We were, I was going to say the same thing because you end up with this. You can, you can hit the same, not always, but there seems to be a tendency for people to ask the same questions of this, of this person or that person again and again and again. Yeah. And quite frankly, they might be bored of getting that question. And sometimes it might be the easy question that, mm-hmm. you know, tell me, tell me about working with Mark Hamill or tell me about working with you. And so it's kind of obvious, but there's, there's usually a way to find a different way to ask that question from a different angle. And you just have to sit there and look at it. And sometimes their answer opens up something because the, the person didn't follow up yeah. on something they said. So it's, it's a really kind of interesting thing to see because sometimes people ask a really good question. You can sit there and say, that's an excellent question. And they think they ask a really bad question. You can yeah. sit there and go, don't ask a dumb question. You know. I was talking to David McDonald, who was the editor of Starlog Magazine for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And he tells me the story of a conversation he had uh, with James Doohan. Mm-hmm. And Doohan's approach was, he, said, he's a, he, he, he asked Jimmy Doohan about it one time. He says, don't you get tired of getting asked the same thing over and over again? And Doohan said, well, I'm hearing it for the thousandth time, but they're asking it for the first time. Yeah. It's their first time asking this question. So, yeah, I'm going to answer the question because it's their first time. And it was that's a that's a very mature fan-centric way sure. of looking mm-hmm. at those things. But I do I you know, there is that list of questions that people always ask, and I try not to ask those. You know, there might be a couple of them. And I even acknowledge, okay, Let's get the obligatory ones out first, get them done, and then we can go talk and just have a have a conversation. Yeah. But uh, good luck, Thomas. Uh, yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully that goes well. goes well for you. And and when it's live, send us a link. We'll help. Uh, we'll help push it out there for you. Yep. So, all right. Anything else? What are we gonna talk about next week? That's <laughs> <laughs> always the question. That's always right? the question. Always I'm the sure we'll come up with something. Yes. Okay. In the meantime. Uh, There is a new episode of Salacious Crumbs that just dropped today, episode 80. And I think we're going to have episode 30 of Tardis Sauce this week, maybe? We will have at least an episode 30. I don't know if I'm going to have the episode 30 that I want to have for episode 30, but we have an episode for episode 30. All right, so Tardis Sauce on Wednesday. And then this weekend, Friday, we're going to have... Uh, Ranker Pit and we think maybe I gotta talk to you about something and then uh, Good Morning Multiverse we're not sure yet because uh, I gotta be in St. Louis this weekend so um, we are going to see the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra conducted by John Williams Yeah, we're very excited about it so that's our weekend plan so okay that's gonna do it for this 200th episode thanks very much for watching and yeah. for listening and for contributing to the chat and uh, in your comments and those of you who are watching in replay if you have questions leave us a comment we'll get to them and uh, we'll do this all again next week and it won't take two hours <laughs> he says that now <laughs> yeah. alright we'll see what happens all right. thanks folks
Copyright 2019 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.